0: So I was like, okay, I'll put a congressional inquiry in because that's my last hope of anything happening. And so I look up the exact process to do it. I do it. I handwrite these letters. I send in my medical records to them. Like, this is what is wrong with me. I need help. I need to be held because I can't function. I can't hardly hold my daughter at night. I am having panic attacks. I'm having moments of just like complete and utter despair. And no one's helping me.
1: Hello, this is Rob Conlon, and you're listening to the Oath We Took Podcast, the show that tells the Marine Corps' story through the Marines that served. Today is a bonus episode, and I'm joined by Tab Bartley. She is the reason for this podcast. There are so many amazing Marines who hesitate to tell their stories. Their stories hold so much power and so many life lessons, but oftentimes they go untold. Not every Marine story is the same, but what is the same? is the oath they all took. Today, I've taken over hosting duties to allow Tab to share a piece of her story and why she started this podcast. We'll talk about women's health, her time in the Marine Corps, and the challenges of transitioning out of military culture. Tab, I am absolutely humbled to be hosting this show with you today. Uh, it is kind of, uh, as you said before we got on the recording here, a full circle moment here to be uh, hosting this uh, for you. Of course, I call uh, your podcast one of my own podcasts, Children, which is a very fun thing. So uh, I would say welcome to the show, but you already know what it's like to be here.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for for taking it over and doing this. I, I am honored. And like you said, it is just so full circle to to everything.
1: Definitely. And it's, it is such a pleasant thing to see this show have been such a success from the get go. Uh, you know, there's, I work in the podcast industry and I know that half of all podcasts don't make it past episode seven. So to see you do episode eight and then moving on from that, I was like, oh, yes, this thing that we've, we've talked about for years and having met you during uh the pandemic and things like that has really fully come kind of full circle as something that is really taking wings, uh, which is outstanding. So we'll, transition here a little bit into our main conversation today and I guess Tab this is something that you know I've you and I have talked many times before and I don't think I ever got this out of you in our time of why why did you decide to go join the Marine Corps
0: yeah and it's it's funny because I feel like I talk about it all the time but then that happens all the time where people then ask me well why did you join and For me, I never had any aspirations. I didn't know anything about the Marine Corps, really. A recruiter called me one day. I was going to community college and he was like, you want to come in and talk? And I was like, well, sure, He caught me on a good day, but there's like no way I'm joining the Marine Corps. I just had nothing else to do that day. And I went into the recruiting station and he started talking about the New York Yankees, uh, Bernie Williams era, which was my favorite era of baseball. I'm a huge Yankee fan. Um, he was from New York city. And so we started talking about that and then conversations led to, to others. And then he brought up the public affairs job, MOS uh, in the Marine
1: Corps. Okay.
0: And I was like, well, what's, what's that? And he's like, you know, it's journalism, it's public speaking, it's, uh, media relations. It's literally all of these things. And I was like, do that in the Marine Corps? like, what? Like, how much school do you have to go? Like, tell me more. And as he told me about that job, I got really, really interested. And I was like, hmm, you know, like thinking in my mind, but like still poker face and I'm not joining the Marine Corps. And then he tells me about this story. And I, to this day, have no idea if it's a true story or not, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Okay. It's one of those stories. Okay. And he was like, I have to tell you about this uniform that we wear and what it means. And he was talking about um, how one of the deployments he was on was a humanitarian mission. And all of these other branches of service had tried to get provisions to um, to some people. And they weren't able to because every time they went past a certain line, they got shot at. And the goal was a humanitarian mission was not for us to shoot. Sure. And so they called in his unit of Marines and they were able to get these provisions to these people and essentially rescue these people because what the uniform stand stands for and what it means to people, they knew that they didn't want to shoot at Marines because they knew what the consequences would potentially be and just what it meant to be a Marine. And let me tell you that, that got me. I was just like, I, at that point in my life, I was going to school for social work and I I wanted to see the worst in people because I believed that's when you would also see the best in people. And so when he told me that, I was like, this is a random phone call. It happened for a reason, which is such a theme to my story and my life in general. And it was just like, all of these things wouldn't have brought me here to this moment to learn this if I wasn't supposed to do it. And so I enlisted into the Marine Corps.
1: And there we have it. Now, I think there's a couple things to unpack there. Number one, now, you mentioned big into the baseball and things like that is, is telling this journalism story. I feel like journalism in New York are like tied together. Like you almost t- hear those people, you know, oh, and the Yankees are up on the mound. You know, the kind of that old timey radio uh, journalism thing. I don't, I don't, maybe that's a fabricated kind of like, Oh, this girl's interested in journalism. Let's uh, let's play that big city, New York baseball. It has the pitch kind of thing. But the other side of that too, is I love that you transfer that kind of story into what the marine corps uniform means and and as you were telling that in the back of my mind i'm going the only reason the marines got that through is because and i mean this in the nicest way they're the people you don't want to like the the bad people know that you will out hurt them basically (laughs) if they decide to come at you (laughs)
0: And then to do that, but to know that like he's doing it for humanitarian mission and that there was this flip side, right? That it wasn't always, it didn't always result in that, right? right? Like that, that could result in something so positive. It was just like that, that spoke to me because as corny as this is, I absolutely love Boy Meets World and Mr. Feeney's, you know, last message of do good. Yes. That was, that's like what I live by. I don't want to do great things. I don't want to do amazing things. I just want to do some good.
1: And I think that's actually one of the biggest things that a lot of our armed forces do. You know, we do see in the news, "Oh my goodness, you know, something went wrong with a training exercise or some combat action or whatever it might be around the world." But honest to goodness, the Marine Corps, the Navy, the Coast Guard, Army, Air Force—they're probably some of the greatest forces for good in the known world. Uh, it's it's really interesting to see that because again, I feel like we only see like when you are such a high up thing in the world it's really easy to take pot shots at that and bring that down oh you're not perfect haha ha. but uh yeah so you join join the service spent how long there
0: so I served eight years in the Marine Corps eight and years. and funny enough I had to wait five months to enlist and then was in the delayed entry program for 11 months and oh. you would only be in that for 12 months because I wanted public affairs like I was set on getting that job and that MOS um And so my first duty station was Marine Corps Base Quantico, and my second duty station was uh, Marine Corps Recruiting Station Columbia.
1: Got it. So then you have this position in in journalism. How was your time doing eight years of this, where basically Uncle Sam signs your paycheck, number one, but kind of owns you as far as a journalist, number two?
0: It was, for me, it was a very cool experience. So all of us, and all the armed services go to the defense information school, which Mm -hmm. is just an amazing school and institute. And the way that you're trained in the military, it worked so much better for me than just sitting in a classroom because it was so hands-on. It was so just like super active. And my first duty station, I, I feel really old now. I worked for the last newspaper of the Marine Corps, it no longer exists. And we at that time were one of very few. And so we were pushing out. 10 to 12 stories a week for a newspaper. And it was just such a cool experience. And that was right when like social media was starting up. So we were pushing out social media and and content uh, doing that. And so I got to cover a lot of really cool things. But when I first got there, I saw a position called community relations, which managed all of the volunteer programs. And I was like, that's going to be my job. I'm going to do that. Um, And Funny enough, I ended up doing that before I left uh, Quantico, and that was one of the most impactful positions uh, in the Marine Corps for me. I had the honor of doing the honor flights, and one of the oh. honor flights, I got to be my grandfather's guardian.
1: Um, that is magical. That is absolutely magical. Yeah, I. It?
0: he didn't talk about his time in the Army until after that, um, and there was a moment in it where... We were sitting on the bus and he just like reached out and held my hand. And he was like, I don't know why I made it when everybody else didn't. And it was just like, I had nothing to say to him, but he didn't want me to say anything. It was like in that moment, I realized he wanted to be able to talk about it and have somebody listen. And that, that really, really stuck with me. Like, I don't always have to have something to say sometimes in those moments, especially of like that trauma and those tragedies and all of those emotions, sometimes all you need is somebody to listen to you.
1: Right. Silence is a sound. Sometimes silence is a tool and something I know about, you know, not only in my day job, which is making podcasts for people, but having that pause, having that moment with him, I'm sure as he's listening to himself, but also listening to how you're reacting, even if it's just like breathing sometimes of because we we convey emotions in other ways you know uh you even during that my, my eye started to water a little bit things like that so I think that's absolutely magical I think honor flight is one of the most amazing things uh my my wife's boss happens to be connected very locally here where I live with our local honor flight chapter and uh my adoptive grandfather uh had his as well and I was the backup to go on that so I, I missed out but you got to go with his son, which was pretty great. So I'm just hey. I'm so glad that you had a, a tremendous time with that. Um, I guess the one thing I want to go back to, though, that I didn't get to ask you before you told that wonderful uh, aside about your grandfather is why community relations? What drove you to that like subsector of journalism?
0: So at Quantico, they they got to at that time, it was a whole office and they got to inter- interact a lot more with the local community. There was all of the volunteering we did was outside of base. It was at the local SPCA center. It was at the local elementary schools and middle schools, and just different community events. And I absolutely loved seeing that integration and seeing people's perceptions kind of challenged of what it means to be a Marine and what oh. it means to serve. And those interactions. And, and Quantico is a huge military community, so it wasn't as like There weren't as many perceptions being challenged because a lot of these people here are used to it, but it was, it was really cool to see and to see that interaction and to see like kids, especially interacting with Marines. And, um, it was, it was just something I wanted to be a part of. And it was a leadership position. It was a lot more leading and a lot more managing and getting people of way higher ranking to do things and running events. And. Still getting to take photos, still getting to write, but not at the same capacity, not where that's sure. everything. I'm a, a very much a people person. And so it was a lot more people-y.
1: Gotcha. So forgive the pun here, but maybe a little bit less grunt work uh in this case to to get some of that that leadership and and bring that part of, of growth into yourself. That's awesome. I really like that. Uh I guess when you're in this eight-year span, what was your favorite thing about? spending time doing this big development and interacting with these communities?
0: So I, my second duty station was Marine Corps Recruiting Station Columbia, and I managed all of um, South Carolina minus the Buford area, and then up into like the Asheville, North Carolina area and a piece of Georgia. And it's a lot of geography. it's a huge, yeah, that's, huge that's location. That's a large area. Um, wow. Yeah. I had a nice, uh, for a while, a nice H3 that was all branded. Um, and then just a red F-150, which wasn't as cool. Um, but
1: right. <laughs> I would travel all around. Did it at least say Marines I, on the side? It did. It, it okay, had branding. Good.
0: <laughs> but it was just the F-150.
1: That's why um, I like my tax dollars buying <laughs>
0: Hey, but it it worked. But so I would get to travel to all of these schools and interact. And there were there were two moments or two things that I looked forward to every year. One was the Marine Corps Educators Workshop, um, cool. which I brought educators on who had actually went with me in an earlier episode of the podcast. Uh, but that was that week spent at Paris Island with them was like it was life changing for me too because again, like going back to seeing the per- people's perceptions challenged and the conversations we were able to have it was it was raw and it was real and there was nothing off the table as far as like what we're discussing I think that's really important and then I had the opportunity to help create the first um, volleyball leadership academy that the Marine Corps ever did and it brought my two loves together of volleyball and the Marine Corps and it was something that my command believed in me and when I was like I think this is something that'll work they were like all right, we have your back and we'll put the money into it. And so we were the first ones to do it. And now it's, it's done across the East coast. And so that was something that was very unique and to my rank and position that I don't think any, anybody else would have even had the opportunity, even if they wanted to, but I had leadership that was utterly amazing. And just let me, let me do my job and believed that I could do it. And that was, a, that was really impactful.
1: Sure. The question I have to ask here about that program that you just described: How do the Marine Corps and volleyball interact?
0: Amazing. Um, so, well, it
1: sounds like it. But like, what's what's the connection there that drives that relationship?
0: Leadership. We were teaching them leadership, so we were there teaching them our leadership principles and how to lead, and they would go through drills. We would pull in actual volleyball coaches. The, none of the other Marines taught besides me. Um, <laughs> but we pulled in volleyball coaches from the area. And then this was open to all high schoolers, men and women. And they would come in and we would, we would teach different leadership traits and how to lead in different scenarios and have different conversations of how do you bring these leadership skills and implement it on the court and then just in your everyday life. And that's one thing I will say about the Marine Corps. I, I think the Marine Corps has the best leaders and makes the best leaders out there, hands down. Uh, when you you can look up the leadership traits and the leadership principles, and there are so many amazing tools and things to utilize to become a Marine Corps, and that's something the Marine Corps has done very well because we've had to because we're such a smaller branch of service that we're leading at the way lower ranks, and we're having more responsibilities than the other branches of service way sooner, and so that's something at least my recruiting station and, and Marine Corps recruiting in general tries to provide to their community is we don't need you all to join the Marine Corps, but here's something we can give you. Here's some leadership and here's some some take back.
1: That's really wonderful. Again, And the fact that it's open to everybody so that even folks who don't decide that the Marine Corps is the right path for them have something that they can take away and say, hey man, those Marine folks are really quite fantastic. They taught me all this amazing stuff. And of course, it's forget another pun here kind of battle tested if you will as well which is outstanding so thanks for drawing that that line there for me especially with such a unique program uh again volleyball would not be the the vector i thought would go but again i suppose when you have a small unit under your command in a certain position on a field whether it's a battlefield or volleyball court you probably uh there's probably quite a few parallels there which is great okay so volleyball fantastic time running, you know, the last Marine Corps newspaper, all of these things connecting with communities across your career in the Corps. It's time to pack it out. What and, or rather why, rephrase that, why did you transition out of the Marine Corps?
0: Uh, Sadly, it wasn't, it wasn't really a choice that I had made. Um, My, my body gave out and I, so I had three beautiful children when I was in the Marine Corps. And shortly after having her, when you have a kid, you get your initial like six weeks from your, your OBGYN that, Hey, you're good to go. Uh, The issue being for us is nine times out of 10, that's a civilian who has no experience in the military or the Marine Corps. And so my OBGYN said, you're good to go six weeks. Um, at that time, I think my maternity leave was like six or eight weeks. I don't really remember because I went through so many different, um, spans and I got a call. It was literally like I was off of maternity leave that day. And I got a call. It was a Saturday from, um, RXO saying, Hey, can you cover this event? The wrecking Raiders is doing a hike. It'll be eight miles through Columbia and our police and our recruiting substation is going to be there. Can you join and take photos? Heck yes, I can. Like that's that's what I live for, right? Like that's what I love to do. And so I grab I my hear, pack. I can hear the
1: oorah out of your mouth. Yeah.
0: like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And so I take my camera gear and I go there and it's like middle of the night, like 10, 10 p.m. at night. And I, I drive to the starting point. And like, at that point, I know I'm not in shape right now. Like I'm, I'm not in shape. So I knew I wasn't going to do the whole eight miles.
1: You've just had a baby. Come on. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And I I knew I wasn't, but I was like, okay, I'll start with them. And then I'll drive to the finish because that'll be fine. Right. And so I started taking photos and, and they're hiking, but they're hiking at a pretty fast pace. So I'm obviously having to run and back and run and back and take photos. And it's super dark. So it's really hard for me to get the photos. They're on, you know, streets with hardly any lights. So I'm out there a lot longer than I thought I was going to be. And I hop in, hop in the car, drive to the next location and, um, the night ends, I'm in severe pain. Um, I've had multiple hip surgeries before this though. So I thought it was just my hips. You know, I'm out of shape, like all of these things, still breastfeeding. Like, I'm not surprised. I'm having a rough time. I get home and go to sleep, you know, in pain. And then I wake up the next day and I am in the worst pain of my life. I, I had natural births and this pain, I can't even describe how bad it was. It wasn't
1: even comparable to childbirth. Millions. So that's times. like a 17 on a scale of one to 10, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um And I, I started feeling something strange, call the nurse's line. They're like, oh, we have no idea what it could be. Um, we have no idea. And I'm like, I feel like I'm dying. Like, I don't know how else to explain this. Like, could like, like what could be happening to me? And the nurse couldn't give me an answer. So we go to the emergency room. Um, and, long story, short, It ends up that my my uterus and my bladder and my rectum are all falling out of my body, um which is called an organ prolapse. and the Marine Corps is the Marine Corps doesn't have medical and it's really hard to get any sort of like specialty care. and so it took weeks of me going from like to get back to my OB to confirm, like yes, that's what it was to then be sent to a specialist and and at this point, um. I had orders for Okinawa, and not knowing what medically was going on with me, um, I essentially—it's called like denying the orders—and was like, "I'm not going to Okinawa. I don't know what's going to happen to me. They can't even get it figured out." And I'm stateside. Like, what would happen to me if I went somewhere else? And so it's—it's it's months of months of this and trying to fight and figure out like, a, what exactly is wrong with me? B, like, what even could be the solution to it? And as this is all happening. I'm, I'm still working. I'm the only one that does my job. Nobody else in the recruiting station does my job. Um, I am having severe, severe pain. I can't stand for more than 15 minutes. Um, it's causing migraines and anxiety and just all of, all of these things. And and I just, I really start to spiral. And in that, um, it's like, well, if you deny orders, you're going to have to get out of the Marine Corps now. And it's like, okay. Um, but I need to try and get on a med board so that I can medically be held. So the Marine Corps can fix me. Right. Like that's right. what should happen if you get injured while you're in and it all just starts spiraling and time keeps going and, and I'm trying to advocate for myself yet. I'm not dropping my pack. So I'm still working full time and and putting myself through more physically than I even should have. And it comes to the point where I'm a week from my EAS is, which is like your end of service when you'd be out of the Marine Corps. And they're finally doing my eval and the doctor who's evaluating me, who's supposed to determine like, okay, we're going to sign off on this package. So you can go on a med board so we can medically hold you, extend your time in so we can fix you decides that my issues aren't life or death. And so the VA can fix me. And that was the exact quote from the doctor. And at that point, I'm a week from my EAS. I just, I just I just broke down. I was just like, no, no one is fighting for me. I've I've done all of these things for the Marine Corps and I'm here alone. And there's nothing my husband can do. And so um I, I'm the person that always finds the answer. Like that's the thing. I don't have any of the answers, but I always mm-hmm. find the answers or find the path. And so I was like, okay, I'll put a congressional inquiry in because that's my last hope of anything happening. And so I look up the exact process to do it. I do it. I handwrite these letters. I send in my medical records to them. Like, this is what is wrong with me. I need help. I need to be held because I can't function. I can't hardly hold my daughter at night. I am having panic attacks. I'm having moments of just like complete and utter despair. And no one's helping me. Uh, I need need a congressional inquiry done to Mm -hmm. see what can be done. And nothing. I get an intern's response, which is like nothing and all of these other things. And it's just like, okay, well, I need to move back to Indiana. I have to get my family back to Indiana and I have to find a job because, um, while all this is happening, you know, my husband got out of the Navy a few years ago and, and he decided to stay home with our kids so that I could stay in the Marine Corps. Right. And so the pressure of all of that and then what i was causing on my family was just like okay i guess this path isn't going to work and i'm just going to have to chuck it up and figure it out and um so so that was my my transition or the start of the transition um out of the marine corps
1: well it's one wild start uh especially you know when you think of people leaving the marine corps it's you know oh you've been honorably discharged you know things are just fine you've done your tours, things like that, or, you know, maybe you are medically discharged because in the course of those tours, something happened to you, you took around or you lost something to an IED or whatever it might be. But I think, and this is one of the, the my most favorite things about you, Tab, is that you've taught me so much that people who serve our country, there are, obviously we know that there's always the mental toll, but there's also a lot of people you know, what is it? Ten percent of participants in the armed forces are boots on the ground, but ninety percent of everything else is logistics and transport and all of these other things that make the U.S. military go. And people get hurt and have life derailments, if you will, in the course of that as well. And I think that that the population that you're a member of is probably one of the most underrepresented. In the military sphere, if you will. And I I think that it's just wonderful that you're telling this story so far. And I want to thank you. Thank you so much for your vulnerability uh, with, you know, not just myself, but with our listener here, who is learning that, you know, you are giving your all through this trans through this time of transitioning out, even though, you know, before this injury happened, it was you weren't transitioning out, but you were giving your all and you gave it until your body broke. And and that's I I cannot imagine you know you mentioned three thing three distinct things that are falling out of you and it's like that's a problem and I don't want to make light of that in any way shape or form you know that but like that is a oh shit moment uh, for anybody in this case plus I just think that the the tower of responsibilities that you had stacked on on yourself there is incredibly laudable as well with being a mom three times over holding down the breadwinning job for the family and do, you know, as you said, not dropping your pack in that case. So I think that's outstanding. So your transition outward, we've we've gotten to kind of the point where it's critical that you leave. Uh, in my past, I had a, a time where I left an organization that had an incredibly strong culture. And this is actually something I've I've been meaning to look into and study a bit myself, is that some organizations, military in particular, and other ones that sort of touch that a little bit, have incredibly strong cultures, when you remove yourself from them, whether it's voluntarily or not, it sort of takes a piece of you with it. With your body falling apart on you and this gigantic part of your life of being a Marine, of being a part of this culture that has been going on for, if my calendar is correct, 237 years now, (laughs) that's a really strong thing. How did you begin to manage that transition from the Marine Corps back to civilian life in Indiana?
0: At first, I didn't. I mean, that was that was part of the the struggle. Uh, I have an amazing support system, and I did there, and that was our reason for moving back to Indiana. But it was it was such a struggle, and like what you said about, I felt like not so much that i lost a piece of myself but that the marine corps allowed me to be my authentic self and i didn't think that the civilian sector could handle that i didn't think that they could handle blunt bartley i didn't think that i could have my personality and do it in the civilian sector it just didn't it i didn't think it was going to work and what i had done in the marine corps didn't seem to matter in the civilian sector. Although I had done this job for eight years and been amazing at the job, I didn't have a degree. So it didn't equal the same pay. It didn't equal uh, the experience. My experience just didn't matter as much. And that was something that was extremely hard for me um, because literally that Saturday before I got out of the Marine Corps, I was still working. I was still covering because mm-hmm. it was my program and it was you know what, what I had done. And so as I'm fighting to find a place and find a job, I, I was luckily enough to to land a, a position with the Purdue Research Foundation, which is the fundraisers at Purdue University. Of course, yes. And it was an admin job and sort of entry level, sort of not. And and at first it kind of like it broke my heart a little bit because it was like, this is this is all I can equate to. Eight years of doing a job, and all I can equate to is an entry-level position. And that was one of the best things that happened to me. The The team that I was blessed to work with and the university and just the interactions and the people I made. And I had two cousins who worked at on Purdue University and being able to walk at lunch with them and talk to them because at a time... I wasn't talking about what I was going through and any, the few times I brought up like my, my, um my disabilities, it was like taboo and other people felt uncomfortable. And that was so strange to me because in the Marine Corps, like you talk about everything medical, like, because it affects everybody. And I had previously had hip surgeries and had talked about this, but you know, uh, organ prolapses is something that was just like, that's a woman's issue. I don't want to hear it or I'm uncomfortable because it's a woman's issue or this and that. And so Getting that job in that position was honestly like part of the reason why I feel like I did actually start to transition. And, and in that transition though, um, I, um, as I'm fighting to get care because I had to fight the VA to get care and had to, to fight to get that care. I did understand though, how somebody, I don't like to say that I was suicidal but I understood how in the transition somebody could get to that point um, just so, so fully. And it was for me, it was so many different things of at one point, I was just sick of having to fight. I was just I was sick of having to fight. Um, but it it was it was so much more than even just that. Um, I had this amazing family and this amazing support system. And my husband and my children had to bear the weight of it, or I felt like they did. And so there was just a time that it was like, would it be better if they didn't have to see me going through this? Would it have been better for them if my husband didn't have to bear all the weight of literally everything? Because I, I can't do it. I, can't make dinner. I can't play with my kids because of the severity of like the pain and everything that was going on for me. There was a really, really dark time where I thought it would be better for them if I wasn't around and they didn't have to deal with me. Um, but luckily like my belief system and, and their support, I could never actually do that, but I, I really understood how it, it could get to that point. And funny enough, our mutual friend, Chris Zahn, one of the days that I had kind of like, just felt like that was it. I had posted on, I think it was Facebook, a rant, which I normally don't do. And it was just like, I'm so sick of all the, like, whatever, whatever. I deleted it within like five minutes. Cause I was like, I can't post something like this. And right. then he calls me immediately. I probably haven't talked to him and I don't know how long. And he calls me immediately and he's like, what is going on? Just tell me what is going on. And we talked and I went back in the office and it wasn't that anything monumental was said. I mean, yeah, sure it was. Cause you know, Chris, he's good at saying like grace, right, great things, course, yes. but it was the fact that I had this moment where this whole time I have been asking for help. And it was like in the, that moment, like somebody responded, even though it wasn't like to fix things, but it was just like, you're, you're not alone. And even though I knew I wasn't alone and there were all these other people doing things, it was just to call out into the void and then to get an instant response. It it really, it really helped me. Um, and for me and, you know, after processing that, I was like, I can't let anybody go through what I went through because I had all the support and all of these things. And I was like, I can't have to do something. Like I have to do something more, whether it's, I start talking about what I went through, um, or, or what, and, and it, Weirdly enough, I started sharing my story on LinkedIn. And then I started mm-hmm. connecting with people and being on podcasts and sharing my story. And that led to uh, creating a group for women veterans. And then it led to me running for state Senate, which anybody who knows me and is listening to this knows that I'm the last person you would ever expect to run for a political office.
1: Maybe that's what we need a little bit more of in this country. <laughs> but <laughs> no i'm I'm so glad that when you mentioned, that you were kind of at that low point, that very deepest moment of maybe the world would be better off without me, which is something you know I have in my life I faced as well I'm not not trying to to step on your your parade here at all, but I think for for you that when you're in that moment, when you reached out, the fact that you know into the darkness and somebody reached back, I think that that was incredible, but The fact that it was a Marine that reached back, I think, is a very amazing thing to take home from that tale you just told. So as we bring our time here somewhat to a close, there's a few more questions I have to ask you. I did want to ask this because of the ordeal that you had transitioning out, how it impacted your family, how it impacted you, how it impacted—I'm sure your your husband, like this poor guy, like my spouse is in tremendous pain. The kids are hungry. I have to be at work doing things. I'm one pillar here. Did the Marine Corps let you down a little bit when it came to your health care as a woman?
0: They did, honestly, and it was something that I think that was part of it for me that it was so hard to admit um, and I think it was I was so proud to be a Marine and it felt like I lost that right and when I was in the Marine Corps I didn't get the name Blunt Bartley because I was nice about things in the Marine Corps I got the name Blunt Bartley because when things were messed up or weren't right I was all about saying well this needs fixed or this needs changed right about, when you yeah. when you love something you want it to be better And it felt like when I got out that I almost couldn't do that anymore because I wasn't in. And then it was hard to be my own voice against the Marine Corps too. But as I got out and I met more and more female Marines who experienced the same physical ailments I had, I realized that this was a trend and it is a trend on multiple generations of females in the Marine Corps. And so the Marine Corps is failing and they do need to do better. And there's a lot of initiatives that- that need to happen, it should happen and could happen as simple as postpartum care of a doula. That, that could have changed everything for me. I could have potentially known that it was happening and known that, um, I needed to take whatever precautions, uh, you know, I'm now seen for it. I will be in pelvic floor physical therapy probably for the rest of my life, unless I decide to get surgery. It's not like this thing goes away. It's not like it's not something you can just fix. It's going to have an impact on me for the rest of my life. And for the Marine Corps to be so nonchalant of it's not life or death and the VA can fix you, it's not the right mindset. And we, we need to prevent this from happening. And, and there's a lot of steps that the Marine Corps could take and should take. And then personally, I shouldn't have been fighting that battle alone. I, I had a command that should have been fighting for me and making sure I got the medical needs I, I should have gotten.
1: Interesting. So Tab, I want to press a little bit more on that, if you'll let me. How else can the Marine Corps better support postpartum and pregnant service members?
0: Yeah, I think one of the easiest things, and especially with doulas having just been approved by TRICARE, we need to extend the doulas services to postpartum care. We also need to implement in the Marine Corps better training physically. You have to think when female Marines are pregnant, nine times out of 10, they're nowhere near their support system they're not by their mom they're not by their aunts even if they were their aunts and moms probably weren't as physically active as female marines need to be and so that means we need to take a specific look at postpartum what do we need to do to prepare the body to be able to do pull-ups to be able to run 3 miles to do all the physical things we have to do there does need to be separate physical training and teaching around around that because you're, you're on an Island nine times out of 10, who's going to tell you what's happening in your body or what could happen or how to prevent it. And it's the Marine Corps due diligence to make sure that, that female Marines know what's going on in that time in their lives. It's no different than preparing somebody who's overweight to how to properly make weight or how to, if you can't run the three miles, how do you get physically fit enough to run the three miles? If you can't do pull-ups, you know, all of these things are taught and it's part of the Marine Corps. Well, it should be the same when somebody is going through postpartum.
1: Interesting. And I, as you mentioned, like doing pull-ups, I'm like, yeah, that is a full body thing. And, and when you have a child, a lot of those core muscles that are probably very essential, I'm not a, you know, a kinesiologist or anything <laughs> like that, but like a lot of those muscles are probably either out of sorts, number one, or damaged in some way or another. So yeah, I think that, that the rehabilitatory training is probably something that the, the branch of the service should really look at uh, Marines, Army, Navy, everybody, uh, which is outstanding. So I guess the last question I have sort of based around this tab is when you got out of the Marine Corps, you're going through this entire process and you finally come to the, the realization that, you know what, I'm not alone. You run for state office and things like that. How long did it take you to feel, I guess, yourself again, whole again from getting out of the Marine Corps?
0: Honestly, I still struggle. I'm still going to therapy and we're, what, that was October of 2018. Um, And there's still days that that I, I do feel alone, but I'm not sure the transition will ever fully end. I think it's just different transitions and I think realizing that has been healing, that that the transition continues, um, but it has improved so much because I've found a community and I've found my voice and I've found that my story matters. And in me telling my story, it's led to so many things that I I realized that part of the other thing I missed in the Marine Corps was telling other people's stories and being able to um and we talked earlier for full circle and and that's where it comes with the podcast i saw it as an opportunity for me to be able to share other people's stories as well and the hope that they'll realize how much their story matters and how much they matter and it's not about you don't need to be the first female marine to do anything or the first marine to do all these things like right it's not about being great it's being good and i just believe that 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 we are and our stories matter and the more we tell our stories the more we realize that there's connections like not only with other marines and other veterans but even in our own community
1: well you certainly have a knack for bringing things full circle my friend not only even this uh this podcast episode you've done the very same thing well that that is leaving us with our last question here tab which is if you had to take the oath again would you
0: I would. I I would in a heartbeat. I feel like I was meant to be in the Marine Corps. Um, but the one thing I would have done is I would have dropped my pack sooner and I would have made myself and my family a priority sooner um, because something that was told to me is the Marine Corps can and will always replace you and they will. But it's the Marines to the left and the right who can't. And at the time when I was told that I took it very personal. I was like, oh, what do you mean? You mean like my, I have no value in the Marine Corps and looking back on it now on the other end, that's, that's not what the Marine was saying. They were saying at some point you have to think about yourself first again and and not put the Marine Corps first.
1: That's some pretty wise advice. Outstanding. We have a saying in my industry of when you're ending a podcast, leave people with a moment. And I'm certain that you've done that with us today. This is the Oath We Took podcast. You just heard a piece of Tab's story. You now know one more Marine and one more piece of the Marine Corps history. Her service matters. Her stories matter. Not every Marine's story is the same. They didn't all join the military for the same reason. But what is the same is the oath they all took. An oath that could easily have ended in death. And for some, It did. So, listener, instead of asking you to thank the Marine for their service, I'm going to challenge you to continue to listen to their stories instead.